Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. History of Persia is a Hopful Media podcast production. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp Therapy Online. Life doesn't come with a user manual, so when life stops working for you, it's pretty normal to feel stuck. Imagine somebody who spent, oh, say, 25 years being really distracted, overwhelmed by clutter, and fluctuating between being really into obscure ancient history and not being able to find the motivation to do the dishes. That person is me, And apparently, if there were a user manual to life, it might have told me that I have ADHD and should talk to my doctor about that. Therapists are about as close to a manual as we can get. Folks who are trained to help you figure out challenging emotions and learn coping skills. 
BetterHelp has connected millions of people with licensed, registered therapists for convenient and secure online therapy. It's convenient and 100% accessible online. No waiting rooms, no traffic, and not even endless googling of therapist near me. You just fill out a questionnaire and get matched with an appropriate therapist. And if it doesn't click, BetterHelp makes it easy to switch providers. Everyone deserves to feel their best, so get unstuck with BetterHelp. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com persia. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash persia. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the History of Persia podcast. This is not episode 31. That will come with a slight delay early next week. Instead, this is the second sort of annual holiday special. This won't interrupt the shaky release schedule, but I had to bump the regular return to the narrative because today, Friday, March 20th, 2020, is a very important day in any discussion of Persian culture. Noruz Mubarak, everyone. If you're thinking, didn't we just have a holiday special? Does he know it hasn't been a year yet? You're correct. But like I said in December, my holiday specials aren't going to be at the same time every year, just once in each modern calendar year. If I can achieve my goal of making it to the 8th century CE at my current pace, this podcast is going to be ongoing for a long time, and there are truly an astounding number of holidays that intersect with our narrative at various points. I'm looking forward to covering them all as we go. I'm sure a significant portion of listeners know exactly what I'm talking about today, but I'm sure there's also a lot of people who aren't familiar with the holiday. Nowruz is the traditional Persian New Year, which coincides with the spring equinox. Like so many things, there is evidence for the New Year's festival in the Achaemenid period, but not nearly as much as later eras. The first thing that I should establish is that the current consensus on Nowruz is actually that the word is a later name for the festival. Basically, it's a Middle Persian phrase that literally means New Day. The older name for the holiday is Navasarda, which meant New Year rather than New Day. The older name for the holiday is Navasarda, which meant New Year rather than New Day. Navasarda is only attested through Middle Persian, but it appears very early and linguists and scholars have concluded that the older name did exist in Old Persian as well. So today's episode is going to be all about the Achaemenid celebration of Navasarda, the New Year, which is now known as Nowruz today. Modern Nowruz, much like the winter festival of Yalda, is celebrated by both Zoroastrians and the greater Iranian world diasporas. In Iran itself, it's usually a multi-week cultural festival. The details of ancient Iranian mythology are largely lost to us prior to the creation of much later documents, like the 10th century CE Shanama by the poet Fadrausi, but these later stories conflated Achaemenid history with mythology. The traditional stories of the first Persian Empire itself are lost, and only inferences can be made from later legends and myths. The Shanama attributes the celebration of the New Year to the legendary King Jamshid's defeat of a killer winter. 
It has been suggested that the spring and autumn festivals became more prominent after the first Indo-Iranians became settled farmers, and they were used as celebrations to mark the beginning of agricultural seasons for sowing and harvesting crops. The esteemed 20th century scholar of Zoroastrian history, Mary Boyce, suggested that Nowruz and the associated festival days called the Gahambars were established by Zoroaster himself. This would explain Nowruz's place of prominence in Iranian cultures, but ultimately makes very little sense. All modern research places Zoroaster in the Indo-Iranian culture of the later Bronze Age steppe, amongst pastoralist herdsmen who would not have placed as much emphasis on the traditional agricultural seasons. They didn't practice much agriculture, and thus it wasn't particularly important. Plus, the New Year's Festival and the other Gahambars do not feature in the oldest parts of the Avesta associated with Zoroaster himself and his early followers. Instead, they are only developed in the younger Avestan literature that may have developed just before and during the Achaemenid period. Boyce's supposition was based on the extreme importance of Nauru's in documented Zoroastrian history, but more recent research indicates that she may have been putting the cart before the horse, and that the spring New Year's celebration rose to prominence over time. Though the early Iranians didn't have much reason to note the spring equinox beyond the physical changing of the seasons, their new neighbors, when they settled in Iran, had already been marking the beginning of the planting season for thousands of years. Of course, the change of the seasons was not entirely irrelevant, and must have been acknowledged. The solstices and equinoxes are easily observable astronomical events, and herald important changes in the world regardless of lifestyle. Warming weather and the birth of new wild animals would obviously have been important parts of spring for steppe pastoralists. For that reason, it's probable that the spring equinox was marked, but it may not have had the singular significance and ritual connotations that it eventually developed. Of course, it's possible that it did have them, and this is a much debated piece of Zoroastrian history. The changing of the seasons had been key points in the Mesopotamian calendars stretching back to the Sumerians, and the spring equinox was New Year's Day in the Babylonian calendar, when the crowning city of the ancient world celebrated its Akitu festival. It seems highly likely that the Iranians, especially the Persians, adopted the Babylonian calendar and festival sometime after first settling in Iran. The old Persian calendar used by Darius to give dates in the Behistun inscription is almost a direct copy of this 360-day Babylonian system, and thus shared a New Year's date. After the conquest of Egypt, the Persians also incorporated elements of the slightly different 365-day Egyptian calendar into their own system. However, the Egyptian year began in autumn. That slightly different calculation eventually became the traditional Zoroastrian calendar that is still used to determine religious dates. However, it retained the cycle of the year borrowed from Mesopotamia, with the month of Favardin, the first of the year which starts today, falling on the spring equinox at least in theory. For the moment, the two Iranian calendars are largely the same, but since neither had perfectly calculated the length of a solar year to be 365.2422 days long, the numbered dates eventually drifted, and because the two calendars were different lengths, they drifted away from one another. Though they were very close in the number of days, even slight miscalculations lead to seasonal festivals like Nauru's occurring wildly out of place after centuries of drift. Over time, various measures were taken to combat this, 
but it will take centuries to get it perfect. The most obvious measure to synchronize festivities with the events they supposedly celebrated is seen in the eventual adoption of the Zoroastrian 365-day system. Prior to the adoption of the more accurate Egyptian year, a complex system of adding whole months was used. Every eight years, Babylonian scribes determined where to insert three extra months. During Darius's reign, the system was adjusted to intersperse seven months in a cycle of 19 years. Obviously, that's absurd, and eventually you have to accept that you're trying way too hard to keep everything divisible by 12. At some point, probably under Xerxes, a 365-day system was adopted. But if Zoroastrians, and probably even non-Zoroastrian Iranians, were celebrating their holidays on a 360-day cycle, then those extra days suddenly cause a problem. The king tells you to celebrate Nauruz, or rather, Navasarda, on one day, but according to your religious routine, you celebrated it five days earlier. A year later, you're ten days off, and then fifteen, and so on. Of course, it could be no problem for secular purposes, or for most of the people in the empire. However, Zoroastrian tradition dictates that every day of the year is named for and commemorates something. Various Yazadas, Ameshaspentas, Ahura Mazda, and other divine concepts all have their own day each month. So you can't just add blank days. The end result was the extension of about 36 hours of religious activities into an 18-day festival, and the invention of a festival that became known as the Hamas Path Maidaya, which included the many days inserted into the religious calendar to bring it up to 365. Each of the new days was assigned a dedication and incorporated into the existing system. Even once that was finally accepted, the added festival days became part of the annual cycle, and a 10-day period had to be worked in rather than the 5 days originally planned. Anyway, I suppose you probably want some details. Fortunately, I can say that some sort of exist, but always with caveats. If we assume that the Achaemenid celebration of Navasarda, which became Nauruz, lines up with similar rituals described in the Avesta, then I can at least explain the religious purpose. And fortunately, all scholars do seem to accept that assumption because it makes sense. It ties directly into the daily Zoroastrian prayer cycle. Zoroastrians, or at least Zoroastrian priests, to use a somewhat incorrect but familiar title, are supposed to pray five times a day, much like the Islamic Salah prayers. There's certainly a connection there, but now isn't the time to explore that. It's my understanding that this isn't common among most modern-day Zoroastrian lay people, but please correct me if I'm wrong about that. These five prayers have their origins in much earlier Indo-Iranian history, with three prayers offered at sunrise, high noon, and sunset. The theory is that two nighttime prayers were added by Zoroaster himself or his reformist followers. In all Indo-Iranian traditions, fire held a place of particular reverence, and the sun was understood to be a constant presence of that most important element. In Zoroastrianism, fire, and the sun by extension, is taken to be directly connected to Ahura Mazda, and thus the sun figures prominently. The connection with Mithra, as a divinity specifically associated with the sun, was a later development. 
The ancient Iranians, like many ancient cultures, had deities in their pantheons which represented natural events, like dawn or sunset. In Zoroastrianism, one of these divinities was retained, or possibly even newly developed. This is Rapithwin, the spirit of high noon or midday, who is the guardian of Asha, that concept of divine righteousness in proper order, and everything symbolized by the place of the sun at noon, and as we'll see, that's actually quite a lot. In the Zoroastrian creation myth, once Ahura Mazda finished creating the world, the sun stood still at the peak of its crest through the sky, i.e. its position at noon. This phenomenon will be repeated at the end of the world when the struggle between Asha and Druj, good and evil, truth and lies, comes to an end. As such, Rapithwin, the literal embodiment of the noon position of the sun, was symbolic of Ahura Mazda's triumph and accomplishments in creating the world and defeating evil. However, the sun doesn't reach the height of the sky during winter. Instead, it appears to sort of migrate around the horizon. This led to the belief that Rapithwind is gone during the winter months, and that the winter is a time of evil. The noon prayers are suspended for the season, and the I routinely wish that I knew more languages. Even right in the middle of the US, I run into Spanish speakers all the time, and my social media always has a little Persian, Arabic, some Dutch, and German. Rosetta Stone does help. It's the most trusted language learning program after all. It's also conveniently available on desktop or on the go as an app and has some really cool features that truly immerse you in the language you're learning. Just the first steps, like learning a new alphabet and some simple phrases, helped open new doors, and Rosetta Stone is a great choice as the trusted expert in this for 30 years and millions of users with 25 languages available to learn. They focus on fast language acquisition, without English translations to help you learn, speak, listen, and think in your new language while building long-term retention. Their true accent speech recognition also gives feedback on pronunciation, which can be really important for languages like Persian, where how you say something is very important. And on top of being available for desktop and mobile, you have the option to download lessons and take them offline. This is also all available at a steal. You can get lifetime membership, all 25 languages, for 50% off. Don't put off learning that new language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, History of Persia listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. The current danger of cold weather made this a common belief across many cultures. And when some Iranians eventually became settled farmers and winter meant no growth, the evil of the season could only have become more obvious. At noon on Nowruz, Rapithwin and the light of Ahura Mazda's accomplishments returns to the world. Food can be planted and the threat of cold begins to fade for the new year. Nowruz also comes at the beginning of a cycle of holidays that celebrate the Amesha Spentas, those seven core elements or emanations of Ahura Mazda's creation, Nowruz itself functions as the festival of fire, that most important of elements. And originally, it was immediately preceded by an event called the Hamas Spath Maidaya, 
which was the Festival of Mankind. Over time, the festival took on more aspects and connotations, and the commonly used name changed. In Yasht 1349, which is part of the younger Avestan corpus, it is called Hamasbath Maidaya. Presumably, that was what it was called up until the Achaemenid period. At some point between then and the development of Middle Persian language, the modern name Frawardigan came into use. This was quite probably a reflection of the holiday's new role. You see, Hamaspath Maidaya and Nauruz were originally back-to-back, one day after the other. Hamaspath Madaya began as a celebration of ancestors in which the spirits of the dead are welcomed by the living and honored. It's somewhat comparable to the Mexican Day of the Dead and its roots in Christian All Saints Day and the religious origins of Halloween. So it's a loose connection, but at least it's a familiar one. Your dead ancestors coming to stay for one night was a great idea. Good time for a party, family dinner... But then Xerxes goes and adds five days to the calendar. That's fine, you ignored it. But now it comes around that the dead are showing up 360 days later, right on schedule. But their return flight on Nauru's has been rescheduled to five days later. That's kind of a long time for the dead to hang around. And then, the next year, official Nauru's doesn't come until ten days later. Now you're sort of stuck trying to get this religious calendar to work with the new royal calendar, and navigate the seeming idea that you've got spirits hanging around for more than a week. Eventually, everyone was able to work out their new calendars, and Hamaspath Madaya, now well on its way to becoming Prawardagon, stretched out over the last five days of the twelfth month, called Aspandiar, as well as the five intercalary days added by the new calendar, and became a much more significant festival due to its length. The lengthy build-up no doubt made the final explosion of festivities on Nowruz itself even more exciting and important. What did those celebrations actually look like for the Achaemenids? Well, that's where most of the caveats I mentioned come in. I'd like to say that I had some master plan that led to Nowruz coming immediately after my episode on Persepolis, but if you've been listening for a while... You know that if I had been more consistent recently, last week's episode would have had us well into the Ionian Revolt. Instead, it turns out that Persepolis and Nauru's have fallen conveniently back-to-back, because almost all of our theories and understanding about the Achaemenid New Year is somehow tied to the royal city in Parsa. For most of the last century, various aspects of Persepolis, including the Apadana staircase reliefs, which I discussed heavily in the previous episode, have featured prominently in all theories about how the Achaemenids celebrated their new year. A.T. Olmsted, whose 1948 History of the Persian Empire dominated Achaemenid studies for the latter half of the 20th century, even frames his entire description of Persepolis with a chapter entitled New Year's Day at Persepolis. Now, if you don't mind me publicly airing my grievances with this highly regarded book, That chapter does not discuss New Year's celebrations even a little. It's a beautiful description of Persepolis that I'd recommend to anyone who struggled to follow the audio description last week. It just doesn't relate to the chapter title at all, which was more than a little disappointing when I started researching this holiday special. Instead, I have to turn to the much larger and more recent spiritual successor. Of course... 
That's From Cyrus to Alexander by Pierre Briant, which is unequivocally the book on Achaemenid studies today, which is unsurprising as it's more than a thousand pages of dense information. Briant takes steps to dispute the idea that Persepolis was designed for Navasarda. Traditionally, theories about Persepolis and the Persian New Year have been based on two things. First, the apparent focus on the event space in the design of Persepolis, Rather than a palace, the Apadana meeting hall is at the center of the Persian city, and when Xerxes constructed his own palace there, he also built the Hall of 100 Columns, another reception building in the royal compound. Second, lots of the artwork at Persepolis is devoted to the apparently secular nature of the empire, with the lion attacking the bull in circular formation, and the constant procession of gifts and courtiers to the king. The third is a description of some kind of festival there in Book 8 of Xenophon's Cyropedia. It's been a while since I brought up this somewhat moralizing work of ancient historical fiction, but it is largely just that. It's a legend about Cyrus the Great that doesn't meaningfully reflect other sources about the events of his life, and may actually reflect more about his 4th century descendant and namesake, Cyrus the Younger. In terms of narrative, we'll reach Xenophon and... Prince Cyrus in due course, but Cyropedia is still thought to be a valuable primary source for Persian culture as seen by Xenophon in his travels. Xenophon doesn't specify the occasion, but describes a spectacle, and it should be noted that his account must have been based on other people's accounts because he never actually reached a Persian city to see what festivities looked like under the Achaemenid kings. The event opens with a parade. First, a procession of sacrificial bulls to be dedicated to Ahura Mazda march through, followed by horses for sacrifices in honor of Mithra. The sacrifices were followed by three chariots. The first two pulled by white horses with garlands. These chariots led many ceremonial processions, including marches to war, and symbolized Ahura Mazda and possibly Mithra in later decades. The two divine chariots are followed by a third pulled by horses dressed in purple, pulling a sacred Zoroastrian fire. The king himself rides in on a chariot, leading the procession as crowds of peasants and notables line the streets behind a row of soldiers flanking either side of the parade. He wore an ornate purple robe, and was followed by the procession of nobles and military officers dressed in similar robes with purple cloaks given to them by the king before the start of the festivities. He accepted gifts from commoners and granted his favor as he saw fit. He was followed and flanked by a regiment of the immortals, and behind them came the royal spear-bearers, mounted and in noble regalia. After that, the king's personal herd of horses in golden bridles and decorative coverings were followed by several regiments of cavalry and the most important commanders of the army. While they processed, people called out petitions to the king, and the spear-bearers or cavalry officers would branch off and receive requests from the onlookers, and the king would grant their wishes on that special occasion. It was up to these horsemen to decide which of the petitions to bring to the king, and thus their job to filter out unreasonable demands. Following the parade, there was a grand banquet at the palace. The king was honored the king's most honored guests sat to his left and his family to his right. For the types of food served at an Achaemenid royal feast, I'll just direct you to the 2019 holiday special where I covered Achaemenid food. 
The feast evidently extended beyond just eating, and even included a traditional dance led by the king himself. Xenophon was certainly describing some kind of celebration, but what kind? Was it a New Year's Day, as some have theorized? If it was, then it lends further credence to the idea that Persepolis was some kind of New Year's capital. The parade described by Xenophon even reflects a very similar visual to the Apadana stair reliefs which I described last time. That said, Pierre Briant pushes for a hard no. He points to a variety of accounts from Herodotus to Arian to Diodorus Siculus and many other ancient authors that describe similar military processions, fanfare, and gift-giving any time the king arrived in a city. Both around the current point in our narrative and during Alexander's conquest of the Persian Empire, we get stories like that. Though I do have to wonder, if that's what the king showing up looked like for just any occasion, what kind of festivities and celebrations accompanied a genuine festival to make it even more exciting? Another issue is that Persepolis seems to have been the autumn capital, while winter was spent in Babylon, spring in Susa, and summer in Ecbatana. That means the king would probably have been in Babylon or Susa for the New Year's holiday, unless a special trip was made to Persepolis before turning around and going straight back to Susa. Perhaps the biggest factor is that, up to the current point in our narrative, the king has needed to be in Babylon celebrating the Akitu festival on the same day as Navasarda. Both celebrated the New Year on the spring equinox, and it was very important for the king to participate in the Akitu festival most years in order to reaffirm Babylonian loyalty, and for the city to feel like they were receiving the blessing of their god Marduk. Following a revolt during Xerxes' reign, that practice mostly faded out. So maybe the seasonal uses shifted around, or perhaps there was a festival in Persepolis regardless of where the king was. That would make sense, even though we wouldn't expect to see much evidence for it. The king would celebrate in Babylon, or Susa, or Persepolis, wherever he happened to be that year. Regardless of whether Xenophon was describing a New Year's festival, he was definitely describing a Persian celebration, and we might imagine that similar events and tropes would play out during a Navasarda festival under the Achaemenids, possibly with even more fanfare and grandeur. And while we might not know exactly how the king celebrated, some general traditions practiced today doubtlessly stretch back over the full 2,500 years. Things like cleaning and preparing the home and visiting with family are thematically tied with the celebration of ancestors and the return of spirits marked by the days preceding Nauru's. The tradition of family meals bringing in the new year would also stretch back far into history for similar reasons. And that brings me to Nauru's today. I had wanted to say something about checking out any local festivities or looking up what the two-week event in Iran looks like, but this isn't the year for that. The COVID-19 pandemic is raging in Iran, and they are taking a particularly hard hit. There are a lot of reasons. International sanctions against the current government, limit supplies, the current government's early refusal to take preventative measures and generally poor responses all over have left Iran in a bad place to bring in the new year. Yazd, the hub of modern Zoroastrianism in Iran, is being particularly hard-hit in an already hard-hit place. I'd ask anyone who is able to get assistance, either financial or better yet just medical supplies, to people you know in Iran, then please try to do so. 
I'm not suggesting you send something to the government in Tehran or anything, but if you know a way to help heavily impacted communities, especially in places where the response has been so dismal and so detrimental, please do what you can. If anybody knows a good resource to share, I'll look into mentioning it in the next episode. Until then, everyone stay home, stay happy, and stay healthy. If you want more information about the podcast, you can go to historyofpersiapodcast.com. There you'll find the bibliography for the show, maps, and the Achaemenid family tree down to the children of Darius. You can also find the support page if you want to find out how to support the show financially, and the contact page if you want to get in touch with me. You can also reach out directly through email to historyofpersiapodcast at gmail.com or on social media. On Facebook and Instagram, I am History of Persia Podcast, and on Twitter, it's just History of Persia. I also always look forward to seeing reviews, so if you use iTunes, Stitcher, or Facebook, please leave a review there and tell people what you think of the show. I also encourage you to tell your friends, share it on social media, put it on your Instagram story, or even just tell someone in person, though I imagine we're not seeing quite as many people in person these days. Once again, thank you for listening to this holiday special from The History of Persia. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Welcome to Prime Video's culture-rated collection. This is the place where black is the main character, where we don't jump through hoops just to hear our voice and can fall in love with illuminating documentaries like Giannis' The Marvelous Journey. I'm just a hard worker that's trying to survive. Enjoy the animated series, The Second Best Hospital in the Galaxy. All doctors report immediately. Where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Welcome home, baby. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. I want my music to unify people. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life. And BMF. You're about to take over the whole nation. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old school greats and new school hits. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.